This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. At the Home Depot, we improve things. This holiday season, we've improved Black Friday. Instead of one day of crazy, we've lowered prices now and they'll stay low all season. From decorations to dishwashers, wreaths to ratchet sets. So sleep in. You're not going to miss Black Friday. Not one little bit. Black Friday improved. The best prices of the year already here at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. U.S. only while supplies last. See store for details. Hello and welcome and bienvenido and in the spirit of the Japanese games that were played, Yokosa. This is the Raptors Reaction Podcast. I'm Ro Sampson Folk. We've got more Raptors basketball to talk about. They finished their second game of the preseason against the Houston Rockets. The second of two games played in Tokyo at the Saitama Super Arena. They lost this one, 118 to 111. Now, there's a lot of things that happen in this game, a lot of them pretty grimy and gross on both sides of the floor for both teams, but basically how everything shook out was that, like in the first game, Harden and Co. came out pretty sharp to start things off, and except this time the Raptors weren't equally as sharp and the Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet offense wasn't as sharp as it was in Game 1 to start things initially, and the Rockets were just as good to start things initially. Things kind of fizzled for the Rockets, and by kind of, I mean they really did fizzle for the Rockets, trying to introduce Westbrook into their new system and trying to make him work next to Harden. Still seeing problems there. Also, their second unit, not good very bad there's a reason they were they were last in scoring in the NBA last year for a second unit and the Raptors for what it's worth their second unit looks you know capable and the second unit is a big reason of why the Raptors have been close in these games because they do thoroughly dominate the the Rockets second unit and a good takeaway from that is obviously that you know the building block of that second unit and the building block of the Raptors tonight was getting stops on defense, running out, and even though they didn't win, there's a lot of you can glean a lot of things from the defensive effort that they're putting in, and I think that's and that should be a really big part of this team going forward. But to get back into it, the start of the game, something that I saw as intriguing and encouraging was that OG Ananobi had a couple nice plays where he was changing speeds and changing directions in the lane. He got a basket that way. It ended up being his only basket, which is kind of a shame, but 
it was nice. And then he iced out Russell Westbrook on defense the very next possession, which was great. And Russell tried to ISO on him and couldn't get anywhere. He stood his ground. And then he made a nice shovel pass to Serge when he was coming down the lane. Playmaking while on the move. All these things are really big indicators of where OG can take his game and how he can sustain the important parts and the the important aspects of his game going forward, the things that make him successful. So that was encouraging to see, even though it was just kind of a blink in the game. It did not last, really. This was really a mixed bag for OG in this one. And I guess the big takeaway for the Raptors' offense in this one, there is a standout, and it was Norm Powell. He really lit it up from downtown. He was very efficient. It shades of Bucks playoff series where Norm sits in the weak side corner and just shoots and takes a bunch of shots from three and hits at about 46, anywhere from 46 to 78% from downtown. And he, he shot really well. I think he was five for seven from downtown tonight which is really encouraging if he's going to be able to finish possessions with that high of efficiency. Obviously, he's not going to shoot 5 for 7 every night. Let's not get way ahead of ourselves. But if he's going to shoot between 38 42% from downtown, that is going to be a boon for the offense, and especially a starting lineup that will be looking for scoring punch from anywhere they can get it. There were a couple problems. Norm, when he was trying to push to the basket in the half court, he did get blocked by Capella. He was getting stripped pretty often on his dives to the rim. And that's, once again, you know, Powell, I've written articles about this, breaking down his footwork, how what parts of the defense he's attacking, how many guys on the weak side he's attacking at a time. It is really important for Powell not to just use his athleticism when he's attacking the rim because... Rim defenders, they track him. They track him back to there, and they, they meet him at the rim. And it's not enough just to blow by his guy with his absurd athleticism. He has to track and take into account the the help side, the weak side defender. And a lot of the times, he doesn't. And that's that's another that's a development in his game that we're still waiting on. But one that was there for sure tonight was the jump shot. And it was a boon for the Raptors. It was a really big deal. And he provided a ton of scoring punch. Siakam, I thought, was great. And I liked his decision-making a lot. In a game like this, where the Rockets' defense, Capella especially and Tucker especially, they were more mindful of the spacing they were providing on the defensive end to the Raptors' lanes that they were trying to get into. So that affects Siakam a lot. So where Siakam was walking into pretty easy baskets for a large part of Game 1 in Japan... This game, it was a little bit tougher because Capella and Tucker were lurking a lot. However, I thought that Siakam did a great job finding post-ups where he could, being aggressive off of dribble handoffs, being aggressive when he had a lane, or if he had a guy, even if Tucker's out on the perimeter guarding Siakam, Siakam knew, hey, if Capella isn't too far off, or sorry, if Capella's a bit too far off his line, I can take Tucker to the rim, and I can. that's an advantage for me. So Siakam saw that. He took advantage in the places that I thought it was appropriate for him to take advantage in. And it wasn't as much fast break for him when he was on the floor. The Raptors did get a ton of fast break opportunities in this one. That was more to do with the second unit. But Pascal, I thought, did a good job of picking his spots. It wasn't as 
big a night in this one, but the the pace of the game had changed quite a bit from from game one. And he's just trying to find his way in different paces, in different play styles, as the quote-unquote alpha within the Raptors offense. So the more he experiences as a lead ball handler and lead shot taker in this offense early on, the better I think it is because the more stimuli he gets to respond to, the more stimuli he gets to learn with. And I think Pascal Siakam is a fiendishly quick learner, and the more that he gets hit with, the more he'll respond with. And I think that this game was just another step for him going forward in his new role in this offense. And I thought that was encouraging to see. Van Vliet had a great game, honestly. It was. It is interesting because he seems to be getting to the rim at a higher clip than we're used to seeing him get as the lead ball handler. He's always been pretty good at attacking closeouts and using his body to guard himself and finish with his right hand extended out from, you know, his shoulder. But as a lead ball handler and as a pick and roll ball handler, most of the time he isn't able to get all the way to the cup. He's getting into the heart of the defense a lot against Capella, Tucker, guys like Tyson Chandler as well. And that's that's really encouraging, honestly. I don't know if it's because of malaise in the defense or because Fred has worked extensively on his pacing and how he works the pick and roll now that he's seeing angles and he's seeing edges that he can get to but he's far more competent in it now than I have seen him before this isn't the best he's ever played as a player but his pick and roll acumen has definitely it's up a level from where it has been in the past and he did a he did a great job. He had a double double. He provided a lot of assists. He was stirring the pot for the Raptors early on and throughout. And I thought he did a great job providing offense and looks for the Raptors as a whole. And I that's extremely encouraging because Kyle Lowry signed his extension. He is the incumbent point guard. He's gonna run the team this year. Fred obviously is gonna have a lot of minutes next to Kyle. Nick Nurse loves that. Dwayne Casey loved that as well. And I think that fans love that them playing together too. And the results have been very, very good for a long time. That when Van Vliet play, plays with Lowry, success follows. They play really well together and Van Vliet is really good off the ball playing off Kyle Lowry. But last year, the bench struggled with Van Vliet as a lead guard. To have him this year, if he's going to be able to play this well... And create these good of looks for guys like Serge. I'm not sure who's going to start for the Raptors this year, whether it's Mark or Serge. But the the pairing of Van Vliet and Ibaka in the pick and roll in these early games has been very encouraging. Because I think all of us saw a lot of Fred Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka pick and rolls last year in the playoffs that went nowhere. And that for the first three rounds, two and a half rounds... It just nothing was happening with that place with that play, and it's it's good to see things happening with that now. So yes, well done, Fred. Well done, Norm. Well done, Pascal. All on offense, I thought they did a great job. The defense for the Raptors early on for the incumbent players, the guys who are already part of the rotation, has been a wash. Really, there's not a lot of take from it because with Kyle Lowry's not there. The Rockets, I think there's more things to take away because the Rockets, they have their team. And it's clear 
that Harden is in midseason form in some ways because there isn't any messing around. He's getting into the sets, and the Rockets are trying to run their offense. And it's important to them, obviously, to establish that early because they have a lot to figure out as well. Touching on that really quick, the Rockets, they have a really tough time mixing and matching Harden and Westbrook right now. Most of the time, it seems like Westbrook is relegated to operating as a spot-up shooter from downtown, which is not, that is not Russell Westbrook's game. In fact, in this specific game, Russell Westbrook's best stretch was Sam's Harden when he was trying to create other pick and roll, when he was pushing the pace a little bit, and there is a very, very big juxtaposition between how Harden likes to play and how Westbrook likes to play. Harden wants to walk the ball up the floor, leverage all of his advantages as an ISO and pick and roll player, and he wants to play it slow, and he wants to make the savant-type read on the floor that he usually does make, and Westbrook wants to go, 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 and he wants to drop off passes while he's getting all the way to the rim, whereas Harden wants to put his primary defender in jail in the pick and roll, he wants to rumble down the lane at a slow pace and decide if he's going to float it or if he's going to throw the lob. It's all happening very slow for Harden, and he's clearly operating at a much higher efficiency and a much higher rate than Westbrook as well. But Westbrook is the one who's trying to pick up the speed, and you're obviously you're choosing Harden's offense over Westbrook's one million times out of one million. So they can't cater the offense to Westbrook while they share the floor. But they also probably shouldn't be relegating him to a role as just a spot-up shooter. So if that means that they're running you know, some creative dribble handoffs for Westbrook, something we've seen the Raptors do with DeMar DeRozan, where Westbrook, who is a much better dribbler than DeMar DeRozan, and is more explosive with the ball, but neither of them shoot the three very well. So if you get them going downhill and they both pass while going downhill, dribble handoffs can really, really ignite some punch into an offense, especially for players like that. So I'd expect more sets like that in the regular season, but we didn't see anything like that really in this one. When Westbrook was doing well, he was pushing the pace, he was getting two-on-ones, and he was doing his famous drop-off passes to the big man, Tyson Chandler, Clint Capello, whoever it was. And that was where he found success. Harden, on the other hand, I mean, that's I've detailed it already. He's walking down the lane. He's throwing the photo up. He was one for eight from downtown tonight, so the three-pointer wasn't a big part of his game. And it wasn't a big part of the Rockets game as far as success goes either. The Rockets, I think they took 63 pointers They might have made like 12 or 14. That's not a very good rate, and they, they were chucking all night. Um, Terrence Davis, I think... It'd be good to touch on him. He was another impressive showing. There are guys that he's, I would perceive him to be competing with for minutes and a role going into the season. And he is leagues ahead right now of Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Stanley Johnson, Cameron Payne, Isaiah Taylor, Chris Boucher. He's He is leagues ahead of all of those guys because I when he plays against the incumbent rotation players against the Rockets. He doesn't look out of place. His body is ready for the NBA. It looks like his mentality is ready for the NBA. And the more he plays in it, the better he's going to get, I think. And there are some 
and he's he's comfortable creating. He's comfortable handling the ball. He had a three tonight, so we might expect an uptick in his takes from downtown because I think he does have a very pure jumper, and I, I think he will be a good shooter at the NBA level, so that's exciting. Um, yeah, Terrence Davis, I think he's... He should be in a nine-man, ten-man rotation in the regular season for the Raptors. Marcus Gasol also played in this game, and he was relegated to the bench to try and, I'm sure, punch some offense into those units where guys like Stanley Johnson, Hollis Jefferson, and Matt Thomas, guys like that, they all need to be off-ball, and they all need to be cutting off of somebody who's a creator. Marcus all acted as a creator. You saw him trying to thread a lot of different passes to a lot of different guys. He did a pretty good job, I thought. It just so happened that Matt Thomas didn't share the floor with him that much. It was generally one of Stanley Johnson, Patrick McCaw, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and these guys, when they get a good shot opportunity, they're just not pulling it. You know what I mean? The ball just gets moved on to the next guy. McCaw... I think he went one for five in the game, and in game one, he didn't take any shots, I don't think. This game, he took four shots in the first two minutes of being on the floor, I think. Then the rest of the time he spent on the floor, he took one shot. So it was it was clear he got the memo that he was supposed to be taking shots, and it was clear that he went after it initially, but then he slumped right back into his pump fakey, erratic type of offense that just gums up what the Raptors are trying to do. I don't understand the fixation on Patrick McCaw from the Raptors organization. I like Patrick McCaw. I think he can defend, but I don't think the Raptors are short defenders on this roster. And Patrick McCaw, to me, definitely adds almost nothing on offense. So I don't understand the fixation there. Stanley Johnson you wonder about it, right? Because you haven't had him in house. You haven't had him in. You haven't had him in front of your guys who work with him. But so you think, okay, we'll bring Stanley Johnson in. He's got that body. He's got that athleticism. We'll see how we'll see the inner workings of his game, and we'll see what we can fine tune. The early returns have been not good, like very not good. But you understand why they take that chance. You you get it on some level. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is the same thing. It's a guy from another team who had high, I suppose, pedigree is the term I would use. So he, these guys are highly thought of. They're first-round draft picks, and you're like, okay, we're going to take a flyer on them. We'll get them in-house, and we'll see what they're up to. The early returns from the wings have not been good. If you count Terrence Davis and Norman Powell as very small wings, then both of them have been encouraging in their own ways and Terrence Davis I think especially because he he's doing the Fred Van Vliet thing right he's betting on himself he's he told teams not to draft him so he could pick where he wanted to go he saw the Raptors as a great team with great development and he thought that's where I need to be and you know I respect that and I think that's a really cool thing and it's I'm glad it's paying off for him because he does look like an NBA level player another wing player to touch on Malcolm Miller in this one I think it's so easy to see Malcolm Miller as an NBA player. Guys like O'Shea Brissett, Stanley Johnson even, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson at times, they don't look like NBA-level players. They don't look like consistent NBA-level players. Malcolm Miller, to me, looks like a consistent 3-and-D NBA player. And he's not Chris Boucher 
in the G League where Chris Boucher's play style and his body type lends him the ability to put up gaudy numbers in the G League. But Malcolm Miller, who doesn't put up gaudy numbers in the G League, but is just great, he maintains his role when he's in the G League, the same one that he plays in the NBA. And that makes him translate really well to the NBA in my eyes. I think I'd be very happy if the Raptors kept him on for this season. I don't think he should be with Raptors 905 anymore. I think he's got a very, very quick and short and sweet shooting stroke. I think he's long. I think he defends diligently. And I'd like I'd like to see him with the team for for the upcoming season. I mean, it couldn't hurt. Alfonso McKinney played with the uh, the Warriors last year, and I thought they they're coming from the same place, and they both do the same things really well. Alfonso a little bit more intimidating on defense because he's bigger, longer. There's a bit more versatility on the type of defense he can play. But Malcolm Miller, undeniably a better shooter than Alfonso McKinney. Matt Thomas in this game, he didn't get that many looks. He didn't get that much time on the floor. So I don't know if he's worth talking about, but he's going to be on the team this year. He's too good a shooter, and the Raptors, an NBA team, they know they want shooting, and they'll they'll keep him on. Just to get back into it is the fundamental struggle of the Rockets' offense when Westbrook is on the floor is that Westbrook is less useful to Harden than Eric Gordon. This can always improve. There's a very high ceiling there, but the early impressions are clunky. So the second half of the game... After the first half, when all of that aforementioned stuff was shaking out, the Rockets, they they were coughing the ball up. They weren't able to generate very good looks. And the Raptors, young guys, because the second half was where the young guys really shine and the young guys get their minutes and the youth guys get their minutes. And they they really pushed the pace against the, the Rockets and they got out in transition. And much like in the first game, that was where a lot of the the advantages came from, except it just so happened that James Harden came back for a bit. Things stayed close to even for a while. Russell Westbrook went on a nice little personal run, and that was where the game became tied and became really close. And then taking those 63s paid off, I suppose, at the very end for the Rockets because the variance broke right for them. Chris Clemens hit a couple threes. Gerald Green dunked, hit a three, and it just it broke right for the Rockets that they ended up winning the game. Um, a highlight of the end of the game, I thought Dylan Hernandez had good minutes. He was good defensively, I thought. He was hanging around in the dunker spot on offense. He was finding the soft spots in the Rockets' defense. I thought that was cool to see. Um, Chris Boucher did not get a very long look at all in this one, and why that is, I'm not sure. I was... There were people online who didn't like the grade I gave him in the quick reaction. I gave him a C plus, even though he was very efficient and had, I think, what was it, 12 points, 7 rebounds in game one. But I thought that he did that against scrubs. I thought he did that against guys who won't really be competing in the NBA. So I wasn't that impressed with it, right? Like Pascal Siakam, him getting his points, he was doing that against what is most likely the Rockets' future starting lineup. Chris Boucher... I view him as an NBA player or an NBA prospect at the very least. So if he's eating against Josh Hartenstein and co, that doesn't track super well for me. And in game one, he did really poorly against the incumbent rotation players of the Rockets. 
In this one, he didn't really play. He he came in at the very end, but he did look fast. He looked mu- he looked better than the rest of the players on the floor. He he just looks better than the very end of bench guys on the Raptors. He looks better than Duan Hernandez. He looks nearly on par with Terrence Davis, and he looks better than Josh Hartenstein and Blossom Game and the guys on the Rockets. He just looks better, so him playing those five minutes at the very end, he looked sharp, he looked fast, he looked explosive, and he was always, he was really pressing the Rockets on their own defensive glass, and those are all good indicators. He just needs to be able to do those things against guys like Tyson Chandler and guys... You know, guys like that, right? Even P.J. Tucker, because Chris Boucher will get boxed the hell out by P.J. Tucker. Chris Boucher would probably get boxed the hell out by Kyle Lowry. It's just, that's, he's fighting an uphill battle in that aspect. And if he's not going to make an absurd amount of threes for his position, then he needs to bang around inside at the NBA level better than he has been. So maybe that's why he didn't get the same amount of playing time in this one. Or it could be something else, and I could be off the mark. You could be listening to this right now and saying, Sam, you don't have the proper take on Chris Boucher. You don't know his game, and you don't get it. He will translate to the NBA. And, that you know, that could be the case. But as I see it right now, I, I'm waiting on him to take another step and to, to introduce a, an unorthodox physicality that allows him to thrive in the NBA. I think that's what it's going to take. Um, among other things, O'Shea Brissett I thought was energetic and good. He missed a dunk. Terrence Davis missed a dunk as well, but that's just that's the way it breaks. And I thought they both they both did their thing, and I liked their energy. And I thought they defend well. I think they get after it. And yeah, I think that's there were a lot of things to like from the the young guys. So yeah, tons of things to like, but. The variance of the three-pointer, some clunky offense that ended up working. Russell Westbrook kind of ramming his all-NBA-level offense into a very short four-minute pocket. Ended up bringing the game close. The variance of the Rockets' three-point shooting kind of stole the game away from the Raptors at the very end. Kind of how variance and defense stole the game away from the Rockets in game one. And that's that's how things broke. The Raptors end up losing 118-111, and that's, hey, that's all right. Still missing Kyle Lowry, still trying to find and fill out the rest of the rotation. There were tons of things to like in this game, and yeah, I was happy with a lot of the, the performances. The Reggie Evans Award, I think, goes to Terrence Davis. There, He is very, very active on the floor, consistently. I think he really gets after on offense he gets after it on defense and every time even if he doesn't have the ball he's pushing in transition if he doesn't have like if he's he's crashing the offensive glass as a six foot four six foot five combo guard he's crashing the defensive glass like the guy gets after it and you have to respect that and that's for lack of whatever that is going to be one of the ways that he breaks into the Raptors rotation and teams always appreciate guys who do that so yeah, Reggie Evans' award goes to Terrence Davis, and rightly so, I think. As far as a Mitchell Robinson award, low yield, there's no villains in a preseason game, nobody got injured, Jared Green, Gerald Green did, but it wasn't any type of animosity, it was just a tweaked knee, I think, from just 
you know, basketball, you play a fast sport, sometimes you tweak something. But there wasn't any type of there wasn't any type of uh, villainous behavior from either team. So no villain responding to the top quick reaction comment from DS. This is the second one. I didn't care much about the fourth quarter play since we know that such a lineup will never see the floor in real life. I was more interested in the rotation players and I'm extremely disappointed right now with Stanley Johnson. Two games in a row where he's looked like the 15th player on a G League team. He has no shot to speak of. He's driving to the basket is helter-skelter with no purpose. Reminds me of Norm three years ago. I don't know if there's anything worth saving here and it's not like this is the exception. We've seen this script last year with Detroit. He might be out of the league next season. Hope he finds another gear somewhere. Yeah, I just wrote a piece about Stanley Johnson, and it was... I thought when I was writing it, I was like, wow, this is a lot more pessimistic than the when I spotlight on a guy and I write a feature about a guy. Usually it's pretty optimistic stuff. But I watched every basket Stanley Johnson scored last year. I watched a ton of tape of him not cutting. I watched a ton of tape of him on offense, and I he is a good defender. I like Stanley Johnson, and he's a good guy by all accounts. He's very personable and likable dealing with media, but he is a tough fit on offense. He does not help create. He does not provide spacing, and it's, it's a tough road ahead for that guy. He has to figure things out fast because his performances right now are just going to drop him off the face of the earth. And if he plays this way, the Raptors are 100% going to be the last NBA team he plays for. So, that's a thing. Dreams dry like raisins in the bacon sun. So, things happen, and not everything breaks your way. But he's still got an opportunity. He can still make it work. He just has to start soon. As for me, I've been Samson Folk. Thank you for listening to the recap, the Quick Reaction Podcast. Whether you're listening to this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. At The Home Depot, we improve things. This holiday season, we've improved Black Friday. Instead of one day of crazy, we've lowered prices now, and they'll stay low all season. From decorations to dishwashers, wreaths to ratchet sets. So sleep in. You're not going to miss Black Friday. Not one little bit. Black Friday improved. The best prices of the year already here at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. U.S. only while supplies last. See store for details.